There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Sufri from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Suf, and Ephraimite. He had two wives, one was called Hannah, and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hopni and Pinhas, the, son, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, in the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord, there is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him these are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, and those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out, of food, out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons finds a way. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes 
and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of those faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Pierre. Very good morning to you. I hope you're well. Happy uh, New Year to you. Uh, my name's Alex, in case I haven't met you before. Particular welcome uh, to newcomers, to our youth and children who are also joining us in today's service. Uh, let me pray for us and then we'll have a look at this fascinating passage. Lord God, we do thank you for this new day and indeed this new year, uh, which brings us one day and one year closer to the return of your son, Jesus. Um, Lord God, we don't know the future, but we're comforted in knowing that you do. You are sovereign over all things and you are sovereign over our hearts. So would you guide and direct us now by your Holy Spirit as uh, we hear uh, your word read and explained, help us to understand these truths and to use these truths to guide us in our days and years to come. Amen. Uh, you may have heard the story of uh, Tiger Woods and Stevie Wonder. They were having a conversation one night over dinner and uh, Stevie starts talking to Tiger about his golf game. And uh, Tiger says, you, you play golf? And Stevie says, yeah, yeah, I play golf all the time. And, and Tiger's surprised because he says, hang on, Stevie, you are blind. Uh, how can you play golf? And, and Stevie says to him, well, I get my caddy to stand in the middle of the fairway and, and call out to me and I hit the ball towards his voice. And then uh, when we're on the green, I get my caddy to lean down in front of the hole and speak to me and I, I, and I, I hit the ball towards his voice. Now, um, Tiger's sceptical and he just says to him, well, okay, let, let's play a game of golf someday, Stevie. And Stevie says, well, I know people don't take me seriously, so I only play golf for money, $10,000 per hole. And um, Tiger says, well, I can afford that, so uh, let's play a game. And Stevie says, fine any night. <laughs> now, we have a love-hate relationship with surprises, don't we? Um, we sometimes love surprises. We love surprises with jokes, uh, with stories, with movies, with, with birthday parties. We like surprises when things unexpectedly turn out well for us. But sometimes we hate surprises as well. Uh, we hate surprises when things don't turn out well for us. Uh, we don't like it when things that we think should no go a particular way, like a golf game, for instance, don't go that particular way. We don't like it when things take an unexpectedly bad turn for us. Um, what about today? Uh, today is the start of a new calendar year, and, and maybe today you're thinking about the year to come, what will happen in 2023, and you have hopes and plans and expectations that you think should happen in a certain way. You don't want any unpleasant surprises in the year to come. Or what about with God? Um, we expect God to sometimes do particular things, but sometimes God does not surprise us. Uh, for instance, God is always the same, His character is always the same and He always acts in accordance with His character. God is always sovereign, God is always in control, God is always loving, He's always graceful, He's always acting with justice and fairness. 
But sometimes God acts in unexpected ways, ways that surprise us. Uh, So, for instance, He calls an old man with a barren wife who have no children, and He calls this man to be the father of many nations. Or He calls another old man, a fugitive from the law, to, to be the leader of His people to rescue them from captivity in Egypt. Or He uses a foreign woman, a Moabitess, to be the great grandmother of Israel's most famous king. Sometimes God acts in surprising and unexpected ways. In fact, we see this all the way through the Bible. By working in in those surprising ways, God actually shows us that He is not a projection of us. He is not a construction of us that God should behave in a way that we expect Him to behave. Rather, we are a construction of God's. And just when we think we know it all, God shows us that in fact we don't know it all. Uh, today, we, we, we begin a new series in the story of David, the, the shepherd king. And we see this truth of God's unexpected workings shown in this story. Now, there is more said about David. There are more verses in the Bible. There's more information about David than any other person in the Bible except for Jesus. Uh, We find David's story in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. And 1 and 2 Samuel, at least in the Hebrew Bible, comes straight after the book of Judges. And the book of Judges ends with this statement, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit. Now this could be a motto for our age, everyone does as they feel fit. Do what you feel feel feels good to you. Uh, do what you feel is right. You, you can choose your own morality. It's like a motto for our age. But this closing statement from Judges is in fact not a positive statement because in those times, uh, God's people were living in a state of anarchy. There was political and social and spiritual and moral decay and there was all sorts of brokenness and pain as a result. And as a result, God acts in a surprising and unexpected way to raise up a leader to care for His people. Now, Judges ends with that statement, in those days Israel had no king. 1 Samuel begins with the statement, there was a certain man from Ramathane. And we're probably expecting, will this certain man become that king? But in fact, this certain man is not what this story is about. Instead of starting with the story of a king, it starts surprisingly with the story of Hannah a barren Israelite woman and a boy called Samuel whom Hannah receives from God and and Hannah gives back to God. And so, as we start thinking about the story of David, we'll actually start with the story of Hannah and we see three things in her story, Hannah's pain, Hannah's prayer, Hannah's praise. Uh, We're introduced to Hannah in verse 2, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah was the first wife and the name Hannah means favoured one, But it didn't seem like Hannah was so favoured because she had no children and Elkanah took on on another wife, uh, Penina, and Penina means fruitful. She had many children and that's the reason for Hannah's pain. Hannah had no children and Hannah's pain is communicated all the way through the early part of this story. Uh, Verse 5, 
God had closed Hannah's womb, verse 6, Peninnah kept irritating Hannah, verse 7, we're told that this went on for year after year, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord to worship, she, she, she wept and she did not eat. And then verse 10, we're told that in her deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And we know that word for bitterness means a deep pain, an unrelenting pain, a pain that sort of travels around with you all the time and it's the pain that penning up magnifies as she rubs Hannah's nose into her condition. So why was Hannah's pain so extreme? Well in Hannah's world in that ancient culture and many traditional cultures there was the expectation that women produced children uh, so much depended on the fertility of women in that culture. It, it, it mattered for the country because the more babies that were born, there were more soldiers there were uh, to serve in the king's army. Uh, that meant more prosperity, more security for that country. It mattered for the country. It mattered for her family. Because the more children that a mother was able to produce, then materially speaking, the family's prospects were much better. There were more children to work in the field, more children to work in the shops. It mattered for the family and it also mattered for personal security. The more children you had, the greater comfort and security you had as you aged. You had more adult children to take care of you. There are enormous cultural expectations to have children. You, you, you put your sense of meaning and identity and purpose in having children. Therefore, women who, who had lots of children were seen as heroes. But women who had no children were disgraced, seen as worthless. Therefore, there was Penina providing the cold, harsh voice of judgment in that culture. Hannah, where are your children? Hannah, you've got, you've got no children. Hannah, you are worthless. Now, in some respects, every culture has a particular set of expectations that are imposed. Uh, every culture has particular expectations, priorities that you have to make your own expectations of, of, of beauty or academic or career success, uh, expectations of, of family, of, of lifestyle and everyone in that culture will inevitably judge themselves and those around them according to whether they meet those expectations. You will place ourselves on some imagined social scale compared to other people. But what happens when we don't meet those expectations? Uh, look at what Elkanah does to try to ease Hannah's pain. He says to her in verse 8, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Um, there is something admirable uh, about Elkanah. He loves Hannah. Um, he sees her pain. He recognises that she's lost out culturally, so to speak, and he wants to provide some comfort. And like a lot of guys, he feels uncomfortable when women are weeping, crying around him. And so he's, he's a guy, he wants to provide solutions. His wife can't have children, uh, she's lost out culturally, she feels down. So what's the solution? He is. Hannah, you've got me, don't cry. Now it's admirable, okay, you can see he's well motivated, but it's stupid. Uh, because not only does he not understand her anguish, he's trying to take her focus from one system of happiness to another system of happiness, from one idol to another, you could say. He's saying to her, look, our children says, make, sorry, our culture makes children your priority and your joy. 
But I'm saying make love your priority and joy. Uh, They're the choices that are being given, two alternatives for identity and meaning and, and joy and purpose. And so, what does Hannah do? How, how does she process her pain? Well, she prays. Verse 9, uh, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Uh, that word translated for stood up in Hebrew is a word which means decisive action. She's, she's now taking decisive action. She's not responding to Penina nor to Elkanah. She's not responding to the cultural expectations and, and expectations of individual fulfilment in her to find security and identity and joy and meaning in either children or romantic love. Instead, she's going to God. She goes to Him with her burdens and she prays. Now, this, I want to say, is surprising. Why? Well, because in verse 5, we're told that the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord is the one who is responsible for her barrenness. He's responsible, in fact, for all our suffering in the mystery of His ways. You know, whatever we can say about Hannah's medical condition, God is, is the one behind it. But Hannah, surprisingly, doesn't walk away from God. Um, Her circumstances seem to shout out to her, God doesn't care for you. God doesn't care for you, so walk away from Him. And one of the choices that was available for her was to shut off God. God, how could you do this to me? Don't you care? Don't you see my problems and my burden? But she doesn't walk away from God. Instead, she prays, verse 11... Uh, She makes a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Um, What's Hannah doing? It seems like she's bargaining with God. God, if you do this for me, I'll, I'll do this for you. I'll trust you, as long as you give me this. God, you know how much I've been wanting this child. Would you give this child to me? It seems like Hannah is bargaining with God. And um, after all, you know, that's something that many of us do. We can't help it often. God, if, if you do this for me, I'll, I'll do this for you. Um, but that's not what's going on here. Because if we have a look a little bit more closely at what she says about this child... We, we can see that she's wanting to give this child to God for all the days of his life. And we can see it because it's all about a haircut. Um, Hannah is vowing that this child will be a Nazirite as opposed to a Nazarene. That's someone who's from Nazareth. A Nazarite is someone who is dedicated to God. In Israel, the the priests were from the tribe of Levi. If you're from the tribe of Levi, your job was to be a priest. But a Nazarite is someone who is not from the tribe of Levi. He was someone who would voluntarily have their lives given over to full-time ministry. And you lived in the tabernacle for a young age and you never had a haircut. Your, your, Your hair grew long. Do you see what Hannah's doing? She's saying to God, God, I don't want this child for me, I want this child for you. Um, Because for all intents and purposes, in giving this child over to God as a Nazarite, she was losing the child. 
Uh, this child won't live with her, he'll live away from her for the, his whole life in the temple. Hannah won't get the, the benefits of the economic advantages of a son, she won't get the companionship, she won't get the status, she won't get the cultural acceptance, this boy won't be going with her every day to the markets where all the other mothers and children are, she, this child won't become an heir, to all intents and purposes this child will be invisible to society. And Hannah is giving up all of that. It's like she's saying to God, I'm not putting all my identity in where my culture tells me to, nor am I putting my identity in my husband. My culture, my husband matters, but God, what matters most is you. And I'm giving you what would otherwise matter most in my life to you. I'm giving this child to you. That's what's going on. Now look, Hannah had no guarantee that God would answer her prayers the way she wanted. Um, if this was a case of, God, you did this for me, I'll do this for you, then she would have had no sense of peace because she'd always be waiting for a verdict. She'd always be waiting for pregnancy in order to be, have peace. It'd go like this, pray, pregnancy, peace, right? But that's not what happens because we see in verse um, somewhere, we see... Uh, yeah, in verse 18, she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. In other words, she had peace. So what happens? It's not prayer, pregnancy, peace, it's prayer, peace, pregnancy. All of this happens because she has done the internal work. She'd given her heart to God, she'd sought God out as her first priority. This is her way of, of praying that line in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. It was her way of saying to God, God, your will first in this particular situation, not my will. And she has this peace which somehow transcends circumstances, even deeply bitter circumstances that she was experiencing. That's Hannah's pain and her prayer. But then lastly, we see Hannah's praise. Uh, God gives Hannah a child, uh, she conceives, gives birth to a son, names him Samuel. Earlier, Elkanah had said to her, Hannah, why are you so sad? But now, Hannah's joy erupts in this song of praise. And her song is the key to interpreting what is to come. It's the key to the whole of 1 and 2 Samuel. Because Hannah is able to see a pattern and a prayer. She's able to see a pattern. I wonder if you noticed that pattern as Pierre was reading the Bible earlier. Verse 4, the bows of the warrior are broken, but those who stumble around with strength, those who are full, were full, hide themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who is barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. And it keeps going like this. The Lord sends poverty and wealth, He humbles and He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Hannah's song is full of reversals. She's been thinking how God works, how, work, how He works in her life, how He works in the lives of His people, and she notices a pattern. And the pattern is that God works through the weak, not the strong, through the poor, not the rich. He brings life where there has been no life before. And Hannah's story is a picture of Israel's story. God works through the weak, the outcast, the barren, the desolate to bring salvation for His people 
That's the surprising pattern that she can see. Every time God's people are in a mess, you know, they've sinned and, 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 and they're being persecuted, they're, they're being set upon by other countries and they, they cry out to God. God sends a rescuer, but He doesn't send the insider, you know, the beautiful, the handsome, the, the gifted, the person with the great resume or family background. No, He sends the outcast, the unwanted, the barren, the desolate, the weak. That's Israel's story. Now, why does God operate in unexpected ways? It's so that we would realise that the power, the salvation, come not from us, they come from God. That's why Hannah is able to say in verse 9, it is not by strength that one prevails. Hannah sees in her personal circumstances a pattern and she extrapolates from those personal circumstances what happens actually in Israel's story. God works through weakness. So she sees a pattern, but then secondly, she sees a person. Did you notice how her song finished? Verse 10, He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. That word that Hannah uses for anointed is the Hebrew word for Messiah. It's like Hannah is saying, God is going to send a king and this king is going to turn the world upside down. Now, this is a surprising way to end. Why? Well, re remember, up until this time, Israel had no king. So what king is she talking about? What is she talking about? Well, God has given her the, the, the ability to see something. She can see somehow what God is going to do through her son. She can see that somehow God is going to work for the salvation of her people. She sees somehow that a king is going to come. She doesn't necessarily know who this king is or, 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 or how this king will specifically operate, but she sees something. But you know what? We, we, we actually can see a whole lot more. In order for us to see forward, actually, from Hannah, we need to, to, to look back. Because Hannah wasn't the first barren woman to be given a child. Isaac, Jacob, Samson and now Samuel were all sons to women who were previously barren. Now, looking back, we can see that God has worked through barren women, through women who would otherwise be considered outcasts in their society, to fulfil His promises. But we can also look forward, because there is another person, another Nazarite in the Bible who was dedicated to God, John the Baptist. And John was born to a woman who was also previously barren, Elizabeth. You could say Elizabeth was the new Hannah, because just as Hannah's son Samuel would prepare the way for the anointed King David, so also Elizabeth's son John would prepare the way for the ultimate anointed King and Messiah, Jesus. Uh, last week was Christmas, we've moved on pretty quickly and often at Christmas um, we read Mary's song, it's sometimes called the Magnificat and that's a song that like Hannah is full of reversals. Mary sees the same pattern that Hannah saw. Mary says, He has performed mighty deeds with His arms, He has scattered those who are proud in the innermost thoughts, He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. Like Hannah's song, Mary's song is, is full of reversals. That's how God works. And Mary sees, just as Hannah saw, that 
that God was doing something to save His people. But what God does, first of all, through Hannah's son in raising up a king, God ultimately fulfills through Mary's son in bringing the king that would save His people from their sins. God's coming king, this king who would turn the world upside down. Today is the first day of a new year and uh, often in these times we, we think about what is to come, our shopping lists of hopes and plans and expectations for the coming year. And I'm not sure what's on your shopping list for this year to come. But we know that we cannot control the future. There could be circumstances to come for our pleasure or for our pain. But as we think about the year to come, perhaps we can think like Hannah, who even in her desperate circumstances was able to hold on to God and to say to Him, God, I want this child not for me, but for You. Not my will be done, but Your will be done. And perhaps in the circumstances that come that could be for our pain or for our pleasure, we can always be comforted in knowing that even though lots of things take us by surprise, nothing takes God by surprise. And God will often work in unexpected ways in our lives to draw us closer to Him, to help us to love Him and serve Him and see Him through His Son Jesus, the ultimate anointed one and King and Saviour. And so like Hannah, we commit ourselves to God, knowing that He is good. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You that You are not like us. <laughs> um, you, you work in unexpected ways. You are, you are sovereign and You order circumstances and events in our lives so that we would hold on to You and learn to love You more fervently and follow You more faithfully. Um, would You help us uh, in this year to come? How many ever days that You give us whatever the pain they bring or pleasure they, they provide, that we would see you like Hannah saw you, uh, that we would seek you even in our sorrows, that we would seek to make you uh, the first priority in our lives. And Lord, thank you that we can be comforted. We can know even more than Hannah knew because we've seen the, the great extent that you have gone to to bring salvation for your people, even in an unexpected way, in your crucified Son, Jesus, the one who was despised and discarded, who was an outcast, and yet through Him, you have brought salvation. Uh, so, Lord, help us this year, in the days, weeks, the years to come, uh, to be faithful to you, and we ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen.